Hey everyone, welcome to By Our Love Podcast. This is Charlton and Natasha. We are a large Christian family living abroad in East Africa, and we would like to invite you along on our journey of faith, hope, and love. On this podcast, we're going to be discussing our Christian walk, kingdom convictions, discipleship, and church planting, as well as international adoption, the ins and outs of daily life as a family of 12, and inviting on special guests that motivate and inspire us. We hope to be a source of encouragement and challenge the status quo. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, thanks for listening in today on our podcast. We're on episode number eight, and today we're going to talk about some reflections as we look back on the last couple weeks of some major events that have happened here in Kampala in the church body as we experienced uh, death within our fellowship. And it's times like these that obviously cause us to contemplate the, the contrast, which is life. And so we want to look at the scriptures today and think about uh, death and life and the resurrection and what that means for us as a Christian and the hope that we have in King Jesus. Well, it has definitely been a very busy couple of weeks for us here in Kampala. We've had a lot of things going on, and as many of you know, there's certain events in life that happen that cause us to contemplate reality, Uh, and it's in the midst of various uh, trials and tragedies and happiness and joy and uh, the, the events of extreme emotion that really cause us to, to think about the realities around us. And as a body here in Kampala, we uh, were faced with the reality of, of death and uh, having to work through that as a church body here with a dear brother and sister who uh, lost a, a, a small and precious life, uh, 21 weeks in the womb. And as we know, all life is extremely valuable and created and given as a gift from God. And so we've been walking through that as a fellowship here in Kampala. And I would like to take a moment to just think about some of the realities, how we as Christians view uh, tragedy and uh, pain and the the emotions and the, the things that we go through in this life. Here in Kampala, we are no stranger to power outages. In fact, they happen so often, I decided the other day to kind of go through my phone and see just how many times we have had a power outage uh, this year. And so I went through my WhatsApp because when the power goes out, I notified the electric company and hopefully they will respond in a timely manner and when I counted it it's roughly about 50 times this year alone that the power has gone out and many times it's in the absence of something that we realize its value and so obviously when the power is on and we're functioning throughout the day and we or even in the evening when we have things going on 
It's not until really those moments when we're in the absence of that electricity that we remember its true value and what it affords us, uh, the ability that it gives us to be productive and do the things that we need to do. And so in similar manner, as we think about various aspects of life, that is a true reality, that it's not typically until the absence of that thing that we truly value it and realize uh, what we had until it's gone. Darkness is the absence of light, and in similar fashion, death is the absence of life. And so these realities, these tensions, are what we live in as Christians. When we are faced with death, maybe we've lost someone who is dear to us, a friend, a family member, uh, an acquaintance, a co-worker, whatever the case may be, it's in those moments that we are faced also with its contrast. And many times we take for granted the contrast, which truly is life. Uh, life that is given from the Creator. It's given at creation. It's something that is so valuable in the eyes of God. It's the intention at creation. Not only is it the intention, but it's part of what humanity is meant to oversee and be producers of in the creation story as God reaches down and, and begins to create this good world and he puts humanity in the midst of this garden, in the midst of this creation, he says, you, you are my image. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, have dominion. The way that we live out our vocation is to be those who participate in all things that produce and bring forth life. And that's because that's who our creator is. He, he has brought us into that story and called us to, to continue his creation and creative power in this world, not taking life, but giving life and valuing it. And so as we think about that, that deep reality of what life is, as we think about it in the face and the times that we are faced with death, we realize that's not what God's intention and plan was. We realize that that's an, a result of sin entering into this world, and the effects of sin um, are very evident day in and day out. When you turn on the news, when you read the newspaper, um, we, when you go out of your own home and go to work or school or wherever it may be, we're faced with the realities of sin and the consequences that sin produces on a daily basis, moment by moment, in the world that we live in. And we're called to a higher standard. We're called to something else as we live in the tension of these two realities. And although death is a present reality for us in this world, it's not the end of the story. And I want to go over right now, if you uh, have your Bibles, that'd be great. As you're listening, you can just uh, continue to listen. But I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, 
that which I also received, that the king died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if King Jesus has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the king is not risen. And if the king is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up the king, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then King Jesus is not risen. And if the king is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in the king have perished. If in this life only we have hope in the king, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now King Jesus is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in the king all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. King Jesus, the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are the kings at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. It's such a tremendous passage there this piece in 1 Corinthians 15, and we see there and at the end of verse 26 that the enemy is death, and it's the last enemy to be destroyed, and that, that death is truly the enemy of humanity. It's the opposite of everything that God wants to accomplish in and through his creation, specifically in his image-bearing creatures, which is is humanity. Um, sin is a subhuman condition, and it's not what we are meant to be. And this this actually kind of branches into a whole new topic in thinking about why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? Why did he have to come as human? And and simply put, 
to be human is what Jesus showed us. He showed us what humanity is meant to do, how humanity is supposed to live, the harmony that humanity is supposed to have with creation and with each other. And he's, he's not only taught us that through the values and the laws of the kingdom of God, but he's modeled that for us, and we've been called to walk the same path that he walked in doing that. And so it's beautiful to think about that, the enemy is death. And while it's something that is a deep reality for every single one of the, us in this life, we know that in Jesus, in the King, that's not the end of the story for us. Tragedy and suffering, as a brother has said before, tragedy and suffering can make you bitter or it can make you better. And if we think about our example that we have in Jesus as he endured the pain and the ridicule and the suffering of the cross, and the Hebrews writer puts it this way, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And it's through the things that Jesus suffered that he learned obedience. And we can have those same opportunities as we think about the struggles and the tragedies and the pain and the suffering and the things that we go through in this life are all opportunities to truly learn obedience, to truly find joy that comes from above and where our hope truly lies in, that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. I want to read a short little excerpt from uh, Methodius. It says here, an eminent artisan once created a noble statue made of gold. It was beautifully proportioned in all of its members, exquisite to look upon. But there was an evil man who was so jealous over this beautiful statue that he could no longer bear to see its beauty. So in his envy, he mutilated the statue, destroying its elegance. Upon discovering this, the artificer decided to cast the statue over again, for he had bestowed much pain, labor, and care upon that statue, and he wanted it to be free from defect. So his only choice was to melt the statue down and then remold it to its original beauty. Now God's plan seems to be similar. Upon seeing man, his most beautiful work, corrupted by envious treachery, he could not bear to leave man in such a condition. For he loved man, and he did not want man to remain blemished forever, to carry blame for all eternity. So he dissolves man again back to his original materials. In this way, by remolding man, all of man's blemishes can waste away and disappear so the melting down of the statue corresponds to the death and dissolution of the body. And the remolding of the statue corresponds to the resurrection after death. Paul has a very similar picture. If you continue in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, and it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. 
It's sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so for Paul, this reality of life and death and living in the tension of these two was not something just to look upon in the future sense. But if you read Paul's writings, if you look at his life, he when he says, I am crucified with King Jesus. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the King lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, so the life I'm living here now, the one that I'm living in this flesh, who, who is still susceptible to the two realities of life and death, the one that I'm living now that's been crucified, identity has been found in the Messiah, that life I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That Jesus is truly the Redeemer. He truly has purchased us from the powers of darkness, conveying us into the kingdom of God so that we can walk a new life in a new reality as we submit, as we surrender and give ourselves to the reality of what God intends for the entire creation and all of humanity. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is giving encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, talking about how uh, the world sorrows and mourns in light of its dead in comparison to how we as Christians are to sorrow and mourn in light of what Jesus has done, in light of what it means to be found in him and be recipients of the resurrection. He says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with, that, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, various groups throughout history, specifically the Moravians, they used to view that their dead, when, when someone died in their family and their in their church body that these were truly seeds of the resurrection and i think that's such a beautiful way to think about those in our fellowships and our family those who have their identity in jesus that when they do die in this life in this body this body of flesh that that is a seed of the resurrection and Jesus talks about that unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies it abides alone but if it dies then or produces much grain and many times the reality of someone's life is not truly realized and valued until that person's gone 
the fruit of, of many people's lives becomes evident many times after they're gone. We start to realize the way that they served, the way the things that they did, uh, the people that they blessed, and, uh, and many, many things that we come to find out long after someone has departed from this life. I would like to close out today reading a piece of a message that was given by Charles Spurgeon many, many years ago. Death, even to the Christian, is inevitable, is very trite, simple, and common, and we need scarcely have made it, but we found it necessary in order to introduce one or two remarks upon it. How hackneyed is the thought that all men must die, and therefore what can we say upon it? And yet we blush not to repeat it, for while it is truth so well known, there is none so much forgotten. While we all believe it in the theory and receive it in the brain, how seldom it is impressed on the heart. The sight of death makes us remember it. The trolling of the solemn bell speaks to us of it. We hear the deep-tongued voice of time as the bell tolls the hours and preaches our mortality. But very usually we forget it. Death is inevitable to all. But I wish to make an observation concerning death, and that is that while it is written, it is appointed unto all men once to die, yet a time shall come when some Christian men shall not die at all. We know that had Adam never sinned, he would never have died, for death is the punishment of sin. And we know that Enoch and Elijah were translated to heaven without dying. Therefore, it does seem to follow that death is not absolutely necessary for a Christian. And moreover, we are told in Scripture that there are some who shall be alive and remain when Jesus Christ shall come. And the apostle says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. There shall be some who shall be found living, of whom the apostle says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We know that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom but it is possible that we may be refined by some spiritual process which shall preclude the necessity of dissolution. Oh, I have thought of that idea very much, and I have wondered whether it should not be possible that some of us might be in that happy number who shall not see death. Even if we are not there is something very cheering in that thought. Christ did so conquer death that he not only delivers the lawful captive out of the prison, but he saves a band from the jaws of the monster and leads them by his den unharmed. He not only resuscitates the dead and puts new life into those that are slain by the fell scythe, but some he actually takes to heaven by a byroad. He says to death, Avaunt, thou monster! On these thou shalt never put thy hand. These are chosen men and women, and thy cold fingers shall never freeze the current of their soul. I am taking them straight without death. I will transport them 
in their bodies up to heaven without passing through the gloomy portals or having been captives in the dreary land of shades. How glorious is the thought that Christ has vanquished death, that some men shall not die, but you will say to me, how can that be? For the body has mortality mingled with its very essence. We are told it is true by eminent men that there is a necessity in nature that there should be death. Since one animal must prey upon another, and even could all animals be taught to give up their prey, they must feed upon plants and so devour certain minute insects which had hidden thereon. Death, therefore, seems to be the law of nature. Be it remembered that men have already lived far beyond the present allotted term, and it does seem most easy to conceive that the creature which can subsist a thousand years could exceed that period. But this objection is not valid, since the saints will not live forever in this world, but will be removed to a habitation where laws of glory shall supersede laws of nature. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope that you have been blessed and encouraged and have some things to ponder as we contrast life with death, as we think about the resurrection and the hope that we have in Jesus and thinking about those faithful who have gone before us as true seeds of the resurrection. And we too have that hope of the resurrection to life. If you would like to connect with us, we are on Instagram at podcast by our love. You can also email us at by our love podcast at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.